Hello, welcome to the Dietitian Cafe, brought to you by Nooutra, the innovative medical nutrition company dedicated to improving patients' lives through specialised and affordable supplements. My name is Corinne Torin and I'm a registered dietitian and marketing specialist at HRS Communications. We invite you to drop into the Dietitian Cafe as we discuss the latest nutrition trends, topics and research. Every month, two episodes are released. One is an interview with a featured guest and the other a debate highlighting a hot topic in the world of nutrition and dietetics. However, before I start, can I ask you a huge favour? If you enjoy the Dietitian Cafe podcast, we'd be super grateful if you could press that follow button. More subscribers means more exciting guests and more interesting conversations for you, our listeners. Thank you. In today's debate episode, we'll be discussing the hot topic of preconception and fertility nutrition. The evidence shows that a person who is healthy at the time of conception is more likely to have a pregnancy without complications. But how much research really is there into this area and is it good quality evidence? I'm sure I'm not alone in feeling as though I'm faced by a whole host of thoughts around nutrients to eat and avoid when trying to conceive, such as will avoiding caffeine really help you get pregnant? And does plant protein actually better support fertility than animal protein? We'll discuss all this and more in today's episode. So, to help us answer some of these tough questions and provide some clarity on the science behind preconception and fertility nutrition, we're excited to welcome back to the podcast specialist fertility dietitian, Ro Huntress. With over 10 years of experience in research, academia and clinical practice, Ro is recognised as one of the UK's leading fertility dietitians including awards from the British Dietetic Association and CN Magazine for her work around fertility nutrition. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Ro to further introduce herself. Thanks, Corrine. So yeah, hi, everybody. My name is Ro Huntress. So yes, I am a registered dietitian, like many of you, the listeners, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I've actually been qualified for 12 years now. Um, and I started my career kind of working clinically diabetes weight management. Uh, I still do a variety of things now, including working in the health tech space. Uh, but what we'll be discussing today is my passion and a niche that I have found myself in, which I absolutely love, uh, and that is fertility nutrition. And within that sphere, I have online patient services, including virtual clinics, um, meal plans, online courses, etc. And I also offer education for healthcare professionals on the topic. Uh, I'm relatively active, although I'm probably not being as active as I should right now on social media, but uh, I have a couple of Instagram pages. So at Dietitian Row, which is my kind of more general uh, dietetic page. And then I have one that's specific to the topic that we're going to be talking about today at fertility.dietitian.uk. I'm also the vice chair and a founding member of the Maternal and Fertility Nutrition Specialist Group of the BDA. And I suppose one more relevant thing is that I have recently, earlier this year in March, published my first book on the topic of fertility nutrition. And that was with the publisher Dorling Kindersley, uh, which is called Deliciously Healthy Fertility. And even though it sounds and looks like a recipe book, which it kind of like is in part, the first half at least is nutrition science um, and kind of like the science behind fertility in in, in general. So uh, so yeah, that's that's maybe something you can go and check out if it may be of interest to you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ro. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So how about we get started with a few quick fire questions to get to know you a little better. A little better. Sounds good. First That's one. Good. Cool. What are you currently reading? 
Okay, so this is a bit random. But um, so when I was when I was uh, writing my book, I had, I guess, a mentor um, who was actually a school friend who was writing a book. Um, so her book has now just come out as as well. And her book is actually called No Comment. It's by Jess McDonald. Uh, and she was a detective in the Met. And she has written a book about her experiences. So, yeah, she's my book buddy. So that's the book that I am reading at the moment and absolutely loving. But generally, Thanks. I would say... Normally, if you were to ask me this question, I'm normally like a self-development geek. So anything like that, you know, all the books that Audible recommends to me that are on like the self-development theme, those are the kind of ones that I normally go for. Cool. Sounds good. And do you have a favourite chef? Um, I wouldn't say I have a favourite, like famous chef as such. I mean, I really like going to nice restaurants. It's probably one of my favourite pastimes. But actually, I would say like a lot of my friends are really, really good chefs. So I love going round to their house and them cooking me these absolutely gorgeous meals. So I probably uh, go for a few of my friends, maybe my my friend. I'll shout out to Sarah and Phil, who definitely won't be listening, but I'll I'll tell them I mentioned them. <laughs> Sounds like some good friends to have. Yeah, oh, they're so good. They're so good. <laughs> and finally, what's your dream holiday destination? Um, so, well, for anybody who follows me on Instagram, you know, I actually I travel quite I travel quite a lot anyway. Um, me and my partner, so we actually have this little list, um, and we know all like the international destinations that we've that we've been together. And we're now, and this this is just the ones that we've done together. We're uh, since two thousand and fourteen. We're on uh, international trip number eighty six, so we're not too wow. far from like a hundred. So that's what we're aiming for. Uh, so we travel quite a bit, but um, places that I haven't been to include South Africa, and I haven't been to like the southern states um, of America. So like Texas, I'd, I'd love to go there and just kind of like experience it just because it's completely different. And I, I've never been and I think it will be a really cool experience. Yeah, I saw you went to Bali recently as well on a, on a work trip because I follow you on Instagram. And I just love Bali so much. It looked amazing. But that's very yeah. impressive. I'm looking forward to the day that you get to that 100. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's get stuck in um, with the fertility questions, um, something that I know many of our listeners will be very interested in. Let's get started with the basics, first and foremost. Is nutrition really that important in the areas of fertility and preconception? Yeah, so great question. And I think the important thing to understand here is that when it comes to fertility, there are modifiable risk factors and there are non-modifiable risk factors there are some things that will influence someone's fertility that we cannot change such as their age such as their genetics um, and then there are other modifiable things that we can change and these things can influence fertility and then so nutrition diet supplements activity lifestyle these are these are some of these modifiable risk factors so and, and when, you know, when we talk about nutrition as well, within this comes kind of like weight management. So um, a higher weight and also a lower weight we know can influence uh, fertility. We know that nutrition deficiencies can impact fertility. Um, and then there are also those general associations that show that kind of like healthy dietary patterns are associated with increased probability of, 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 um, of pregnancy and live birth. 
Um, so yes, the link is there. And, you know, it's it's absolutely there and, and well understood um, and well received. However, it is important to note that nutrition isn't going to solve all the fertility issues that exist. So we need to kind of like understand its application and where it's going to help. Mm-hmm. So looking at a bigger picture kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So in terms of research and funding, do you think that the area of nutrition and fertility slash preconception has a lot of research and funding behind it? Or do you think that there are glaring gaps in the research? There's there's certainly there's certainly gaps. But the good thing is that I think it's been spoken about so much more. And because the link is, as I said, that the link is known and understood, which is basically encouraging more and more research. So now, you know, in terms of the research that's coming out every month, there is there's research on fertility nutrition that comes out every single month. So we just basically, you know, we need to we need to rely on this to because it's it's ever building. So we need to continue to to optimize whatever conclusions we have. Um, And I guess when people pick fault with research with infertility nutrition, and this is nutrition research in general, um, to a degree, is that a lot of the studies can be observational. So it's like looking at associations as opposed to causation. uh, And there are less experimental studies, so such as like randomized control trials. However, we we do see some of those, especially with regards to, say, weight weight management. Um, And I, I am starting to see some as well. I guess the issue with experimental studies is just um, like the ethics around it um, because it can be really tricky to get ethical approval for studies that involve either pregnant women um, or you know it could affect an unborn fetus so um, you know so things have to be really really carefully considered Uh, but yeah that's where I'd say we are at the moment. Okay and would you say there are any standout papers or landmark studies from recent year that you recommend to our listeners? Now, this is going to sound like a real plug, but um, myself and some of my colleagues from the uh, Maternal and Fertility Nutrition Specialist Group, we published a paper um, earlier this year, actually. And the kind of the the reason for doing it was um, it was to to kind of like discuss uh, a nutrition screening tool for female infertility. But what's actually really useful in the paper is is the like is, is the body of the review. And it discusses the impact of nutrition on um, on a variety of different um, aspects. So, you know, looking at the relationship between like nutrition and different health conditions and then also looks at kind of like the, the, the different nutrients and how these play a role in fertility. So I'd say that is actually like quite a good um, a good overview. If we're to look back, when you when you hear certain claims about certain things, there is there's a key paper. It's not necessarily recent, but it's from 2007 by Chavaro, and it's looking at um, like diet and um, like dietary factors uh, related to ovulatory infertility. And it was a huge observational study of over like 18,000 women. And it's where a lot of the foundation from uh, from fertility related advice has come from. So that can be a that can be a good one to look at because, um, you know, ovulatory infertility is the cause of infertility in around like 25 percent of cases. So it's it's a good paper to to look out, but to look out to look to look out for. But um, yeah, there's there's new stuff that's coming that's coming out all the time. So it's just keeping an eye on what's coming out. Thank you. They sound like great resources. So 
As dietitians know, there's lots of, I like to call it, nutrient nonsense out there, unfortunately, in the world of nutrition. Do you think that misconceptions in this particular area of nutrition are more common than other areas? And if you do think that, why do you think that might be? Uh, yes, I do. certainly when I entered the space, there was there were quite a lot of misconceptions. And I'm, you know, because where... <laughs> where I spend a lot of my time uh, is on is on social media. And this is when you can see actually how how rife it can be. Um, but I think that things are improving because I think there are more responsible voices that are out there now. Um, but I mean, historically, in terms of um, where like not the best level of evidence advice was was given you know is is via social media and then kind of hearsay and other things like that and and I, I guess with this group you know it's sometimes these people could be really quite desperate and it's thinking about you know taking any advice that they can and also people giving any advice that they think may be helpful regardless of whether it's evidence-based or not so I think, you know, because there's a there's a lack of, say, like clinical guidelines, um, this is where lots of people have pitched in. And this is why the role of a dietitian is really important, because obviously at our core is evidence based medicine. Mm -hmm, completely. So you mentioned the paper that the specialist group um, have been working on recently. But what are the clear guidelines in this area? And could you direct our listeners to any kind of particular guidelines that they can read um, so that they can suggest to patients the right recommendations? Yeah, so this is the issue, uh, is that the, there aren't any guidelines that are published at the moment. However, um, we formed a working group within the committee and we would hope that, I would assume it may be next year by the time of publication, but this is something that we're that we're working on. Um, you know, we have several specialists in fertility um, and we will be working on this together, sharing obviously where the evidence comes from, but also addressing the level of evidence as well. And what we'll be able to do from that is highlight where there are any gaps and then we can recommend uh, future research. And then that is the way in which the recommendations will just get stronger and stronger. So creating these these guidelines, uh, I think, is a really, really good starting point. And I think I think we're at the right time to do it now because I think there's there's an, there's enough evidence to get going with this. Right. And just to touch on that further, what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions that you do hear from patients? So. <laughs> In terms of misconceptions, I guess it's just like things that people may not, they may not be following like the best practices. So say, for example, because um, especially if women are trying to access IVF, for example, then they, um, you know, need to lose weight sometimes because it, there's a BMI criteria there. Um and then other people just feel, oh, okay, I need to like lose weight for for fertility to optimize my chances. So because of, I think just like you know historical hearsay of you know fat and fat being high in calories. So then, oh, okay, well I'll just go on a low fat diet. But then we know that there are lots of foods that have healthy fats that are actually really important for fertility, um, because you know there are associations between. Uh, more unsaturated fats than than saturated and that being positive for fertility also we see vitamin e which is a key antioxidant and key nutrient for fertility is found within these foods so sometimes you know we found that people have cut out things like 
you know, olive oil and nuts and avocados and other things like that, just just for the sake of calories. So it takes a bit of, um, I guess, a re-education there to ensure that people are doing the 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 right things. Other things that I see is, you know, because there's so many supplements out there on the market and people can people can over supplement they can have much more than what they require what people may not always realize especially when they're having supplements that are combinations they're having you know they could be having three lots of vitamin d in different supplements that can take them above the safe upper limit so it's so it's looking looking at things like that but i guess you know common misconceptions are um around you know like oh right we should avoid sugar or we should cut out sugar completely or we should avoid gluten which you know obviously we can uh, we should avoid gluten in certain clinical cases where it is required um but that doesn't need to be the rule for 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 everyone yeah it can be difficult finding that sort of gray area because a lot of people want a black and white recommendation so as a dietitian you know i guess it's our responsibility to really help guide people and make it personalized for them thank you for um highlighting those so let's unpack this further and get into the detail um right does nutrition really play a role in making the chances of falling pregnant more likely so i think we can look at this question in two different parts so one more generally and then secondly more specifically so in terms of generally speaking research does show that having a healthy and optimized diet um, can increase the chances of pregnancy, increase the chances of of live birth, um, and it can reduce the time to get there. So we know that. We know that healthy behaviors are associated with this. And we also know that um, ideally having a a weight of between a BMI of between 19 and 30 um, can also increase chances of pregnancy and reduce the time taken to taken to get there. So we so we do know that. And the thing is, it's like if 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 anybody was to go and see a dietitian anyway, we we would be suggesting healthy diets and healthy behaviors anyway, because it's not just about fertility. It is about you know the nutrients that we would then be providing to the to the baby, to the unborn baby. So then I guess we talk about things more specifically. Um, and nutrition can target certain parts of the fertility journey. So when you start to break it down, what a woman may consider first is thinking about egg quality. Um, so just as the quantity of eggs that we have decline as we age, the quality can also decline too. And one of the key reasons why is oxidative stress. So um, you know, by focusing on uh, antioxidants it and a few other nutrients it can really help to optimize the the quality of the egg as it as it uh, matures and develops over that kind of like 90 to 100 day window so egg quality is is one aspect uh, and then of course not forgetting the guys uh we can influence sperm quality as well um so there's lots of different sperm parameters so sperm count sperm concentration motility morphology dna fragmentation and there's pretty strong evidence um to show that nutrients and yes it can be through diet but i mean a lot of the studies have been done in terms of supplements uh can improve these markers and then once we have 
these aspects you know then the sperm will fertilize the egg and then we have an embryo and then we think about the embryo implantation so that embryo needs to successfully implant into the into the into the like the endometrial wall so there there are potentially some nutrition strategies that could promote this um and there's 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 some evidence to show that things like whole grains or vitamin e may support this but we also want to create an anti-inflammatory environment so that's when things like you know the mediterranean diet um omega-3 can really help because if if that environment is inflamed you know, it's going to make implantation more difficult. There are also things that we can do to potentially uh, increase blood flow to the endometrium. So such as, as we know, you know, athletes will will consume beetroots for uh, for its capacity in, um, you know, like the, the effect of nitric oxide and kind of vasodilation. It's the same kind of principle when it comes to when it comes to fertility. So these are things that we can potentially do. But with these things, we can't guarantee we can't say, oh, yeah, have a beetroot smoothie every day for two weeks, you know, and, and then this is going to ensure your implantation. It's not, but it's going to potentially increase likelihood or just or or help so these are potential things that we can recommend and then when a pregnancy occurs that's not the that's not where our role stops because you know up to one in four pregnancies can result in miscarriage and there are things that we can do with regards to dietary patterns and all the things that we know the NHS tells us in terms of you know like foods to foods to avoid during pregnancy um you know that will have an impact all of these things will have an impact on actually carrying a successful um pregnancy all the way great thank you for breaking down that mechanism i think the whole subject of fertility nutrition and preconception can be quite overwhelming and actually when you break yeah. it down like that it can make more sense um and you touched very quickly there on supplements and i'd love to ask you your opinion on supplements versus food especially in this area of nutrition what's your opinion on that do you think people should be aiming for food first or can supplements deliver the same amount of nutrition oh yeah i think we always you should always aim for food first we want to optimize the diet as much as we can because we know just even in terms of bioavailability and absorption coming from food it's great and you know it's it's just you know it's it for most people it's it's really the right thing to do um but there's absolutely a role for for supplements and because we know anyway there are some nutrients that we can't get adequate amounts of um via the diet so you know vitamin d um and then also folic acid as well and folate so requirements increase um during during preconception and during pregnancy that we're unlikely to be able to get from the diet so those two things are kind of a given um but then there's you know there's there's prenatal supplements as well that can be helpful for a lot of people um and also if people are have deficiencies if people have deficiencies then obviously this is where supplements can play a role but say when we're looking at um you know the example that i gave before of optimizing sperm quality so there are protocols that you can follow um based on based on the evidence based on uh, the latest research that you know taking these supplements in these doses is likely to increase sperm motility for example so yes food first but there's certainly a um, an important role of supplements within fertility nutrition. Okay, great. Thank you.
So on that subject of nutrient deficiencies, do you think that it's fact or fiction that nutrient deficiency is linked to infertility, miscarriage and poor birth outcomes? Yeah, no, there's there's absolutely a uh, an association. Um, say with, you know, it, there can be issues that arise from low folate, as we know. Um, also vitamin B12 as well. Vitamin B deficiency is linked with female infertility. But then there's also associations. So um, when you look at studies, looking at serum levels of vitamin D, for example, and those who are fertile have higher levels of vitamin D than those who are um, those who are infertile. So there's and there's associations with vitamin D and other things. Um, so so, yes, absolutely. And even things like, say, uh, iodine, for example, if we're deficient in iodine and then our thyroid isn't working, that can knock out ovulation. And then, you know, we're, we've, we, we, we can't even get going if we're if we're not ovulating. So, yes, there's there's an important role of so many different nutrients. And this is why. You know, when I worked in diabetes and weight management, micronutrients weren't really a thing that we discussed that much. And infertility is a huge part of what you discuss, a huge part. So, yeah, it's really important that we um, get get levels checked, um, you know, work alongside GPs or or consultants, because sometimes, you know, a deficiency can be the reason why someone's having issues. And it's very easy to correct. So what about the role of paternal nutrition? Does maternal and paternal nutrition have equal impact on fertility? So, yeah, I guess this is a misconception um, because the woman generally tends to like assume all this responsibility. And, you know, it's funny, like on my on my Instagram page, on my fertility page, the like 97% of my audience are female. And then in terms of inquiries that we that we have in, I think it's probably, you know, it's probably like 95, 90, 95% of women. Um, so I suppose, you know, you can look at this from a from a number of different angles, but I think a lot of people feel that it that it is the woman's responsibility and like more so than the man's, but also you know, we see this in healthcare in general. It's generally women who are like, oh, okay, do I have an do I have an issue? Is there anything that I can do? Can I be proactive? We'll see this more from the from the female side than the male. Um, but generally in terms of the statistics, um, we don't see far off uh an even split. So, you know, you, you can say that it it could be near to 50-50 to when it comes to, you know, responsibility, if you like, when it comes to when it comes to fertility or effect of the male effect of the female. Because equally, you know, we need we need the egg. We need we need the sperm. And even even if a pregnancy is achieved, male fertility or infertility can still can still be a reason behind a miscarriage. So um, with issues with the sperm integrity and say like the the, the DNA that it contains. Um, so so yeah, and I think the the point to to conclude here is that you know we need to do a lot more uh, in terms of highlighting the association between um, nutrition and and male fertility. Um, and just I guess like make try to make that access easier 
easier for men. So yeah, it's a it's an area that I think is really important, and I'll continue to to, to work in this area to 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 spread more more awareness. Excellent. That sounds good. And definitely, you know, anywhere we can promote equality is what we should be doing. So definitely with your social media platform as well, that's a fantastic opportunity to educate more and and encourage more males to to get, you know, encouraged and interested in in fertility nutrition. So are there any uh, nutrients that you think men should be focused on in particular? So I think with fertility in general and whether this is fertility for for, for women or for men, uh, a really great and important foundation is the is the Mediterranean diet. Um, just because it's kind of like, in theory, it's quite an easy place to start. It makes sense to everyone, and you know, research has shown that it can prove it can improve outcomes for both men and for and for women. So I think that's a really important place to start. But equally, in terms of uh, sperm quality what is an important nutritional factor again is antioxidants because it can really help to protect the sperm so key antioxidants um you know vitamin c vitamin e selenium and zinc and again these are important for women as well um coenzyme q10 omega-3 also lycopene as well so yeah there's there's quite a few nutrients out there with 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 good evidence behind them they can support uh, male fertility and um specifically kind of sperm parameters Brilliant. That's some really practical advice there. Thank you. Okay, so next we're going to rattle through some common questions which dietitians in this area might get asked. So the first one is, is it beneficial for vitamins and minerals that are important in pregnancy to be at a high level at conception? So I think what we're aiming for is you know for it to be like adequate for it to be optimal for it to be within range it doesn't need to be like high as in like above where it needs to be but it needs to be yeah in in that in that optimal range now that's the ideal that's the ideal you know we know in practice if we think about you know like all all babies that have been born it's probably like likely that a lot of the mothers will have not had optimal nutrition but yet they've still managed to have you know healthy pregnancies because a lot of people you know who don't struggle with fertility they they can just fall pregnant like that um and they might not have the have the opportunity to optimize things um but if we can then yes we want to optimize nutritional status because it means you know these are the nutrients that are going to be passed on to the to the unborn baby and then you know also we know that so many nutrients can can support fertility so yes you know it's it's what we should aim for but i think we should also be like realistic so realistic with with that particular patient and whoever we're and whoever we're speaking to and i always think that if somebody's past that point so it's like if if they're 12 week preg- 12 weeks pregnant and then they tell you that their diet wasn't optimal before pregnancy you know what 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 can you do at that point you can't do anything at that point so it's kind of like taking it from the present really okay well we are where we are now so let's optimize things from you know from this point yeah making that really individualized personalized mm-hmm. approach definitely and would you always advise that someone takes a preconception pregnancy supplement is that you know the the guaranteed must thing to do or are there any other any circumstances in which they should be avoided so generally speaking because the thing is 
with prenatal supplements so it's obviously they contain the those nutrients that we mentioned before so around you know like folic acid vitamin d the things that we the things that we definitely need um so it's good from that perspective but many people do have you know holes in their diet so it can be a good uh, safety net if you like to um to ensure that people do have do have that adequate nutrition because I mean like you know even for me and I don't know how you feel Kareem but I find it incredibly difficult to to ensure that I have the perfect nutritionally optimized diet every day and plus I'm kind of pescatarian so you know there are there are ways in which the nutritional adequacy of my diet would fall down without the help of supplements so I think you need to assess it on an individual basis but to be honest, I do sway towards um, suggesting a prenatal supplement for all women because the research that's out there, it also says that there are positive associations between those that take the supplements compared to those that don't um, and in a number of different ways. So just in terms of where the evidence is at the moment, I I, gen- I generally recommend it to, to all women who are trying to conceive. Okay, cool. And I think, as you said, it's always good to just go back to that evidence-based perspective. Um, So Mm -hmm. thank you. I think I'll help a lot of people. And I think, you know, also bearing in mind, sorry, also bearing in mind that I tend to deal with people who are suffering with infertility. Um, So it's people who are are really struggling as well. So we look to optimise chances in every way. And this is kind of like a very low-risk thing to do that could that could really make a difference um so yeah that's one of the reasons really why we recommend it right so what about alcohol and caffeine i hear this a lot in the conversation when we're talking about pregnancy fertility uh, and you know birth outcomes do you think that men and women need to stop drinking alcohol and caffeine whilst they're trying for a baby and if so is that because it will improve their fertility or can you explain a bit more about that? Yeah. Okay. So with caffeine, the main thing really for for women is the is the risk of miscarriage. So we do know that it's associated with miscarriage. So the recommendation is to uh, keep that under two hundred milligrams per day. Um, with with men, I would say the li- there's a, there's a link, but it's less established. Um, but generally speaking, you know, if, if men were to try and keep it to around about, you know, under 300 milligrams per day, I think that's it's generally OK. But, you know, when we're thinking about general health anyway, it's not recommended to go o- over 400 milligrams because we know if we have too much, it can impact health anyway. So, yeah, that would be kind of like where I would sit in terms of caffeine with regards to alcohol. It's a difficult one. Um, so, well, let's start with let's start with women so the advice is to abstain from alcohol um and the the main reason is because you know alcohol can do damage to the unborn baby um and then obviously if alcohol is consumed in excess then it can you know it can reduce it can reduce likelihood of of conception where it becomes tricky is if somebody's been trying to conceive for four years does that mean that they should abstain from alcohol for four years? And this is where you need to kind of like individualize things. And um, I guess, you know, it, it is just taking it with that with that individual patient. 
And uh, where it's really important is because, I mean, most people who are, you know, who are actively trying, they know their cycles, they know when they could potentially could be pregnant, they know when they're not going to be pregnant. So, you know, for that group, they could potentially look at, you know, if they wanted to have a, like a little bit of alcohol, it's about timing it. So, you know, so that it would kind of like be be safe and they wouldn't be pregnant. Um, but yeah, generally the advice is to abstain. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to... When it comes to to men, really, we just want to avoid excessive intake. So just staying really within public health guidance. Um, There's some research and some recommendations that have been given that men shouldn't drink in the month leading up to, say, an IVF cycle. Um, So that's something to consider as well, because it could impact uh, it could impact the, the quality of the quality of the sperm. So, so yeah, those are kind of like the the blanket recommendations. But you you really have to look at this um, with your with your individual couple and their their circumstance. But obviously, the the less alcohol, the better. And for women, really, to abstain is best practice. Okay, that's super clear. And you touched on this a little bit earlier. But what about exclusion diets? So soy, dairy, gluten. Again, you know, lots of misconceptions around this area. Do you think that they are beneficial for fertility in terms of excluding certain nutrients? Yeah, so with with soy, the key here is just not to have it in excess. You know, it's it's like with most things. So having, you know, a, a small to, to moderate amount of soy in the diet is not going to be harmful. And there's some research to say that it could actually be uh, it could actually be beneficial uh, and beneficial for women who were who were undergoing IV, uh, IVF. But um, but yeah small to moderate amounts avoid excess and that would be the you know the same for same for same for men as well um there's some there's some research around um sperm concentration so if a man has low sperm concentration then it may be it may be that they're advised to to avoid soy just because of um one research study that showed an association between soy and low um low sperm concentration and that was in men who had a a higher bmi so it's really really specific um but but yeah we we have to kind of like approach with slight caution but we don't want any you know there's no need for real fear around it so for generally for the majority of people low to moderate amounts okay um then sorry did you mention dairy yeah yeah so god poor old dairy you know um it gets it gets demonized so much and from everything or from the majority from the majority of things that I read dairy seems to have a protective effect for fertility um so you know it has a place within the eat well guide public health recommendations um and for me there is no no way near enough evidence if any evidence that we should be taking dairy um out out of the diet um if people are doing this we just need to understand why you know if they have like a lactose intolerance or they have you know they have the, they have the experience some kind of effect of consuming dairy then we discuss that with them but then obviously there will be people who choose not to have dairy for ethical reasons or you know they follow a plant-based diet and in that case that's absolutely fine that's their choice and it's a very valid choice so we work with them to replace the nutrients that dairy would would provide 
Um, and yeah, in terms of gluten, so we obviously mentioned this before. So if somebody has celiac disease, then they need to exclude gluten from their diet. If they have a gluten intolerance and gluten gives them certain symptoms, then there's validity in removing gluten from their diet. If people are just reduced it, taking gluten out of their diet for no reason, that's when it's like, okay, well, why? Because it can kind of be difficult to do. And what people have to uh, think about is that if they take that out, what nutrients are they also taking out? So, um, you know, because whole grains are an important part of the fertility diet and the you know the mediterranean diet so why would we exclude them if we if we don't have to basically and it's just about having really rational conversations with people because they may come in with certain beliefs or misconceptions or i've been told this i read this and it's just having you know just exactly the same conversation that we've just had just then but ultimately it's always the choice of the patient so we can guide them they can make the choice and then we help them we help them to manage things Okay, totally. Thank you. And what about plant protein? Does that better support fertility in women than animal protein? Uh, and if that is the case, is you know why is that the case? <laughs> and is it true for men too? Yeah, so good question. And interestingly, you know that paper that I uh, that I mentioned before, the Chavaro paper from two thousand and seven. Um, that was kind of like the key paper that that found this association and we just that's that's how we need to see it that it is an association that in this huge study women that consumed more plant protein over animal protein had a lower risk of ovulatory infertility so that is basically where that recommendation comes from but and we also know you know that we want to have lower levels of saturated fat so that kind of aligns with with that a little bit as well so that is why you will see that uh that recommendation but it's not you know it's not a harmful recommendation um so obviously you know we can wait till more research comes out but that's basically where it comes from in terms of men well you know the reason why that's recommended is because of ovulation obviously men don't ovulate so this the same recommendation or specific recommendation doesn't necessarily exist. But when we're talking about, you know, things from a general health perspective, um, it's good to include some, you know, plant-based proteins and things like legumes, because legumes form part of the Mediterranean diet that we know to be healthy. And we don't want to have a diet that's too meat heavy and too saturated fat heavy. Um, so again, it's just taking these things, you know, just approaching it with common sense definitely I mean I'm a big fan of beans any legumes you know, I can get my hands on I actually recently started uh, swapping out chicken for chickpeas in my fajitas and it's oh, changed my life so love a good love a good bean thanks Ro so just quickly touching on IVF um what's the role of nutrition in IVF and have you heard any common misconceptions around nutrition and if that's the case can you de debunk those myths for us yeah, so I don't, I don't think I hear too many misconceptions, to be honest. Um, I think the main thing to to highlight is just again, like the positive associations of of a of a good diet. Um, of it's when you think about everything to do with lifestyle. You know, we want to be thinking about diet. We want to be thinking about activity. We want to be thinking about stress. We want to be thinking about sleep. 
um, and bundling these all together because the association of good lifestyle habits generally leads to better outcomes. And it's difficult to know the exact mechanisms as to why, uh, but the general associations are there. And I mean, you know, we would be recommending to anybody uh, regardless of their situation to to live a healthy lifestyle so we should certainly be doing it for people when they're going through IVF because we want their body to be in its prime you know to be in its best in in, in its best kind of like situation possible so yeah I would just say um, it's mainly around associations um, and we just want to highlight that it's an important part it's not just um, it's not just going to uh, go and have IVF. We need to think about this before. And it's also thinking about the time as well, because if we want to influence egg quality and we want to influence sperm quality, then we need to be thinking about this kind of three months before to give enough time to influence the quality of both the sperm and the egg. Mm, okay. Yeah, I'm really getting the sense that it's just such a patient-centered approach and everyone is different. And that's why we need people like you to really guide individuals in the right direction rather than, you know, us just reading things online and, and getting confused in the process. So yeah, really great to hear that such a deep explana- explanation about the nutrition there. So moving on to gut health, which is, you know, a topic of the moment. We all love talking about gut health um, because it affects so many things and the research is evolving and continuing to grow. Do you think that a healthy gut microbiome impacts fertility? And if so, are you able to touch on the mechanism behind this? So I think, as you've already said, the gut microbiome is an evolving space when it comes to the research. And it's exactly the same with, with fertility. All I can kind of comment on is is what what has emerged so far. And it's suggested that there are links between the gut microbiota and reproductive and endocrine health. Uh, There is some evidence to suggest that dysbiosis, so a microbiome imbalance um, in both males and females could potentially be linked to infertility. But again, we want to we want to explore this further. there's been some research like utilizing probiotics um, and they've been shown that they can improve vaginal dysbiosis, uh, which has an association with female infertility. Um, And also in terms of lactobacillus specifically, um, that's been linked to uh, supporting implantation. So there's, um, there's an interesting uh, line of evidence that's, that's coming out around that. So I hope that we get to see get to see more but again I would say things in its infancy but certainly certainly promising stuff and I think like the majority of dietitians are like fascinated about microbiome and you know what the connection could be between the microbiome and health um so this is just another additional interesting aspect that I'm sure we will continue to see uh, more research published on sounds promising really interesting so finally, I'm sad this conversation is over because I've learned so much and you have already pointed out some fantastic resources, you know, some of them being your own that you've written, but also some of the, the research papers that you're working on and some other external um, science papers. If listeners are interested in this area, where would you direct them for resources and to learn more? What are your top resources uh, that we can head to? So as I, as I said, um, my 
my Instagram page at fertility.dietitian.uk. I try to keep it very evidence-based so that it's not just useful for patients, but it's useful for dietitians as well. And since starting that page, I've had so many dietitians approach me about, oh, are you, because I did a course for patients. They're like, oh, have you got a course for healthcare professionals? So basically I finally created one um, and published it at the end of last year. And it's called um, just Fertility Nutrition Course for Healthcare Professionals. And it's under my my business, which is a Fertility Dietitian uh, UK. So the website is uh, fertilitydietitian.co.uk. But if you basically want to upskill in this area then I can I can obviously I'm biased but I can highly recommend this course um but it has also just been endorsed for CPD by the British Dietetic Association and it's the first um fertility nutrition course to be endorsed by the BDA by a UK dietitian so I think you know I think it's a really really positive thing that you know the the BDA acknowledged this and it's a hugely evidence-based course it's like you know over 380 references um, within the course and we intend to kind of you know continue to to add information and people have lifetime access um so to be honest with with learning and if you want to upskill that I do feel I've like created it so that it is kind of like the most useful resource for people another thing as well actually is the uh, the BDA specialist group so the maternal and fertility nutrition specialist group we do we've just had a study day recently we do webinars a few times a year um, I've already discussed about some like the resources that we're producing. So I would say that's really good for just like ongoing CPD and keeping in the loop with what's going on. So, yeah, that would be something that I would recommend as well. Perfect. I'm sure many of our listeners will go and be checking that out. So thank you. Congratulations on the course. Sounds fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. So a big thank you to Roe for coming onto the podcast today. It was so great to explore this fascinating and important area of nutrition. A huge thank you to Nuoutra as well for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, I'd love it if you shared this episode with a friend or colleague who you think would find it interesting. Our next episode at the Dietitian Cafe will be out very soon, but in the meantime, you can check out our previous episodes or head over to our RD to be Dietitian Cafe podcast where once a month our student dietitian host discusses the world of dietetics with a range of guests, all aimed at aspiring dietitians. Thank you for joining us at the Dietitian Cafe. Thank you to Rove and see you next time.